Amen. If you would go with me to John chapter 11. Today, we're going to continue to talk about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And at this point in the ministry and in the life of Jesus, we are going to be looking at the resurrection of Lazarus. What the resurrection of Lazarus uh, reveals to us. This is one of the most incredible miracles, obviously, that's recorded by Jesus uh, or, or that Jesus did that has been recorded in the Gospels. And this miracle actually happens at the very end of the three and a half ministry journey of Jesus. This is really happening in the stretch of the two weeks uh, before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is well aware of, what, of the time. He's well aware of what's occurring. And he is, again, going towards this perfect timeline, which is the timeline of God for him and his ministry. Now, alongside that, as we look at this story, I want to remind you what we're supposed to do when we look at the life of Jesus. Number one, we're supposed to remember that looking at Jesus will always reveal who God is. So as Jesus' life and ministry, he reveals to us a little bit more about who God is. So let's focus on what the story tells us about Jesus and what Jesus relates to us about himself. Secondly, there are always people around Jesus. There are always people around Jesus. And how people respond to Jesus really, uh, uh, really can teach us some things. The way that they respond, the way that they react, the, the way that they behave can really teach us some things. And, and third, what's our heart posture as we read the story? What's our heart posture before the Lord? In other words, how well are we receiving or reject, how, uh, how much are we rejecting the Lord? I've told you before that I used to be a classic um, Bible reader that when I read the story, I look at those who doubt and who had lack of faith and who rejected Jesus, and I would be like, I would have never done that. Right? But the Holy Spirit has been very good at saying, "Um, no, I like wanted you to read that right there because that's for you. Right? And so as I'm reading the story and I'm looking deeper at the Scripture, I'm always asking God, help me to identify correctly with who I need to identify, whether I like it or not, so that I can deal with it, so that I can rejoice or repent, right? But both of those need to happen in my life. So as we look at this Scripture that we're about to read, this lengthy portion of Scripture, number one, what does it reveal about God? What does it reveal about the people around, surrounding Jesus? And what does that reveal about our heart posture? As we look at that, I believe that this text that talks about this great, great miracle tells us about what it takes, some lessons about what it takes to be fully devoted to God. I want you to hear me. There's nothing I want more in my life than to be fully devoted to God. And I know that there's nothing you want more in your life than to be fully devoted to God. And being fully devoted to God is not just a one-time thing. It's a life journey. And this journey has all kinds of turns. Destination from destination A to B is not necessarily a straight line, right? The Lord has ways that are different than our ways. And we need to know what the Bible teaches us about what it takes to be fully devoted to God. And I believe that as we look at this story and this miracle, that it does teach us some things about a life devoted to Him. Now, maybe you're wondering if that's worth a life worth living. Let me tell you, there's nothing greater than to live fully devoted to Jesus. There is no investment that you will make 
that will shock you, surprise you, and bless you more than living a life fully devoted to Jesus. And just think about it. The thief was on the cross, and the thief said to Jesus, Lord, when you're in heaven, would you remember me when you're in your kingdom? And Jesus said, I want to do more than that. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow. The guy just wanted to be remembered. Jesus just gave paradise to that man. Just think about what putting your faith in what putting his faith in Jesus just just provided for him. I just want to let you know. Imagine now a life well lived for God, fully devoted to God. So the scripture reads this way, beginning in John chapter eleven, verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was, Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now many, now many people feel like when Thomas says this, maybe he's saying it sarcastically, you know, <laughs> well, Let's, let's just go with him so that we can die with him. But there's nothing in Scripture that suggests that there was a sarcastic tone to Thomas as much as that it's a commitment. And uh, so it's very interesting that he responds that way. Obviously, the disciples understand that going to Judea is not only a sacrifice of the life of Jesus, but possibly theirs as well, right? Now, 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So the first thing Martha says when she says, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is not a declaration of Martha that she believes that God's going to raise Lazarus from the grave at that moment. This is not Martha saying, oh, I know that if you ask him, he'll come to life. No, that's Martha saying, God, I'm disappointed. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. But even now I know that you are who you say you are. Even now I know that you are who you say you are. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Don't you love that simple prayer? So no, it's simple like, prayer like that, Elijah, right? When he calls fire from heaven, he says, God, can you show these people that you're God? Bam, fire, okay, awesome, simple prayers, they work, right? Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always uh, hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine this scene? You know, when I, when I go to funeral services, and I'm leading funeral services, I'm always praying, God, why not? You can raise someone from the dead right now. You did it before. You can do it now. But I often think, and please don't judge me, what would happen if somebody actually rose from the casket? <laughs> now, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. But how will people react you know, how would people react, you know, to somebody, yeah, somebody said zombie apocalypse or something. How, how would people actually react? And I want you to think this is no different. The funeral service then, funeral service here, it's no different. You're going to get the same kind of crazy reactions that you may expect, right? Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. It's like, okay, this seals the deal. Just whatever you want me to do. What, what do you want me to do, right? Many of them believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Here is Jesus the Messiah. Here's the religious establishment that's supposed to usher in the Messiah. Jesus shows up. He shows up in power, does miraculous things. And what are they concerned with? Position and possession. We'll talk about, we'll talk about that a little bit more. 
verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all or what? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. What an interesting portion of Scripture, huh? Let's pray. Father, reveal yourself to us. Reveal your word to us. Give us understanding what's happening here in the Scripture. Give us understanding of who you are. And God, the posture of our hearts before you as we strive to live fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Very interesting portion of Scripture. Incredible miracle. Here is Jesus away. And a messenger is sent to Jesus by Mary and Martha. People that Jesus loved. One was the one that anointed his feet and blessed him. Right? The other one Jesus corrected said, Martha, Martha. Oh, Martha, you're so busy doing so many things. But Mary has chosen the greater thing. There was a deep connection between Jesus, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, right? A deep connection. So much so that a messenger is sent to Jesus to tell him, the one you love is sick. Now they know that Jesus is busy doing good work. I mean, it's not like they send messengers just to say, hey, just wanted to say hi. Text message, right? It's not a text message culture. It's a very serious deal. They sent a messenger to let Jesus know with what purpose they want Jesus to come, and they want Jesus to come quickly. At the same time that there's a group of people in Bethany waiting for Jesus to come quickly, there's a group of people who say, Jesus, don't go at all. The disciples are there saying, it's not in your best interest that you go. It's not in our best interest that you go. Jesus takes this news in. The Bible says that he loves Lazarus, so he stayed for two days. And it makes sense if you love him that you go right away. But Jesus, again, is in tune with the timeline of the Father, doing only what he sees the Father in heaven doing, not moving ahead of time to do a good thing, not restraining himself to do a good thing, only doing what God called him to do when it's time to do what God called him to do it. Right? And so in the process of that, he has disciples who don't want him to go. Some that want him to come, some who don't want him to go. Eventually, after two days, he looks at his disciples and he says, okay, guys, let's go to Judea. And he, I just like wanted to say something, if I could, because um, I'm thinking that's not a good idea. Remember when you were there, they wanted to kill you? Something tells me it's the same. It's not the best plan. Jesus says, and then Jesus answers in the most clearest of ways. By giving another parable, right? Using figurative speech again. And what does Jesus say? There's 12 hours in the day. 12 hours in the day. Time for someone to do work. So what is Jesus saying? What is it about Jesus' response that we need to understand? Number one, 
Jesus is not moved by the outside pressures that are not the pressures of God. He does only what God called him to do. And secondly, he understood that God had given him an assignment, and he had certain hours to do the ministry God assigned for him to do. He had a timeline by which he was doing ministry, and he was always paying attention to that timeline. If you and I are going to be fully devoted to God, you and I need to learn to say no to a bunch of good things so that we can learn to say yes to the God thing. Are you with me? Fully devoted people to God are not people, it's not just not saying no to Jesus, uh, uh, saying no to the world. and it's, it, it, it's about making a commitment to doing only what God's called us to do. You know, some of us believers, we need to understand that the enemy is not going to try to get us to deny him. But he will try to get us distracted. And a lot of times the things that distract us are good things God never called us to do. And I'm willing to venture that there are many of us, including me, who have chosen to do good things at one point or another that brought consequences, right? Because they weren't the things God called us to do. If, if you and I are going to be fully devoted to God, we've got to make, make a commitment and say, God, thank you for that good thing, but that good thing is not for me. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And when you say no to the good thing, understand that there are going to be people around you who may just judge you, who may have a different opinion about it. They're not going to be happy with you because you don't say yes to the good thing that they think is the God thing for you. But when you get to heaven... It's not going to matter whether somebody heard from God for you. It's going to matter if you heard God for you. Are you with me? There are always going to be people who are going to tell you how to do life. There are always going to be people who tell you how to do ministry. There are always going to be people putting pressure on you. The only thing that matters is that you do the will of God. Are you with me? The will of God matters. And someone eventually will be offended. Because if you say yes to God things... You're saying no to other things. And sometimes those other things look really good. And you know what the problem is? Some of those things make us feel really important. Dare I say, some of those things make us feel like the Messiah. They make us feel like we're needed. And Jesus is not interested in sharing his throne. Some of you are trying to bail out your family. You're not Jesus. Some of you are trying to bail out a friend, deliver a friend. You're not Jesus. Okay? Get out of the good thing and do what God called you to do. Jesus understood that. And he operated in the timeline of the ministry uh, that, that God gave him. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to focus on what God called us to do, we've got to be aggressive about saying no to the right things, and yes, to the, the things of God. Secondly, as we look at this portion of Scripture, Jesus finally, he moves forward, un, unmoved by the pressure that surrounds him. And as he moves forward, I want you to notice, again, there's pressure. There are people who are saying, wanting him to go, people who are wanting him to come, and there are, there are even people who judge him. Well, couldn't he, who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man alive? So they're even laying judgment on Jesus' sovereignty. I'm thinking not a good idea, right? So as he goes along, I want you to notice what's going on. Martha meets him, and she cries out. She says, Jesus, 
Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would still be here. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have died. Now, what's going on there? Martha is disappointed. That's what's going on there. Martha's deeply disappointed. And you know why? Because she didn't, Jesus didn't respond to her the way that she expected him to respond. What she expected to happen that she knew could happen didn't happen. And she doesn't understand why. And she's disappointed. Listen to me. If we're going to be people who are fully devoted to God, we need to embrace this reality, man and woman of God. Sometimes God's going to let us down. Sometimes we're going to feel disappointed by God. Because there will be times where we expect that God to operate in a certain way. His promises declare such a thing. So why isn't he doing this? And then when it doesn't happen, we're just going to feel disappointed. Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If your power would have been displayed as it's been displayed before, this wouldn't have happened. But you know what I love about Martha? It's not just that she's able to express her disappointment before God, which you and I need to learn to do. Are you with me? God's a big God. You and I need to learn to express our disappointment and our lack of understanding before him. But Martha was not, able to, not only able to express that disappointment, but Martha was also able to keep her faith in Jesus. It's as if Martha said, you know, Lord, if you, were, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have shown up, this wouldn't have happened. But I still know that you are who you say you are. And whatever you ask the Father, he will give to you. It's a declaration. You know what the declaration is? Life didn't turn out the way that I expected. This circumstance did not turn out the way that I expected. But I'm running toward you, not away from you. No matter what comes, I'm running toward you, not away from you. Those who are fully devoted by God, I mean to God, those who are used by God are those who say, when I experience the letdown, when I experience the disappointment, where God, your will doesn't line up to my will and what I interpret to be correct, I make a decision not only to express to you my heartbrokenness, but I make a decision to run after you. To run after you. If you haven't been there yet, you haven't lived long enough, There are times where life gets disappointing, and believe it or not, we don't understand God's will. We shared the story of a missionary couple from the Assemblies of God. This is three or four years ago. They were in a restricted area in the Muslim world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were just doing community sharing because there was no way that they could have an established church there. But as they were doing life there, they realized that the Muslim people of that region just dealt with a lot of torment. They dealt with a lot of fear. They had a lot of fear, particular, particularly about death, because they had no hope, no assurance. Their God gives them no assurance of heaven. Their God gives them no assurance of peace, of, rec- or of any of that. And so this couple who was there with their children began to just kind of do life in the community. And eventually, this individual was found, the, the, the head of the household, the father, uh, was found to have cancer. 
And the doctors in that region said to him, you need to go back home in America because we have nothing that's, uh, that, that's going to be able to treat the cancer that you're battling with right now. And the Lord began to speak to that man and to that couple. That man said, we're not going back for treatment. I believe that the Lord will heal me. But if he doesn't heal me, I want to make a decision to die gracefully before these people so that they can see that the Christians have peace even in death because we have eternal life in Christ. And so as they were parked there in that region, they, begin, they continued to do ministry and to do life with the people around there. And all of that community knew what was going on, but they, but, they, uh, but they just couldn't believe the kind of peace that they saw in this family. They began to watch the 15, 16-year-old kids that were watching what was going on. And he waited and believed for God's healing. But if God did not heal, he would still die gracefully, believing that it would bring peace and bring people to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. If God heals them, people will come to faith in Christ. If God doesn't, people will come to faith in Christ. And Jesus mattered to him more than life. Well, the story goes that he wasn't healed. He wasn't healed. He went and he passed on to be with the Lord. But the story doesn't end there. Not only do we know that he went to be in eternity, to be with Jesus in eternity, but the impact of the kind of peace that God's presence uh, brought to that family it was so great in that community that it opened up hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the officials of that area said to that family, we give you permission to build the first church ever built in this place. So now in that region who had never seen a church, now because of the obedience of one man, now they have a church and an ability to preach the gospel openly. Martha said, Martha said, Lord, if you would have been here, but even now, I know that you are who you say you are. I know that you are who you say you are. If we're going to be fully devoted to God, we got to be willing to understand. We got to be willing to embrace the fact that we may be disappointed and trust that God has a plan that's beyond our understanding at the time. Amen? He's good. Now that in the middle of the story, Jesus responds to Martha in a very special way, and I want us to pay attention to that. The scripture says, uh, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, okay, verse, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall not perish. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha is a woman of faith. Look, we get the privilege of hindsight. You know, we get to see the story and hear it from the end. But Martha is making some declarations his disciples aren't ready to make. It isn't until like chapter 15 or 16 of John where the disciples are like, now you're speaking plainly. Now we believe that you're the Christ. Jesus was like, really now? Now you believe? Seriously? Right? So in the process here, Martha makes some strong declarations. Obviously, we know some things. Martha hung out with Jesus and she had some good teaching from Jesus. She believed in the resurrection. 
But listen to the response of Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, I know that he will raise in the last day. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. You know what I know about following Jesus and our understanding of Jesus? There are some who want Jesus because Jesus gives a better life. Jesus gives a good life. So they seek Jesus because Jesus promises a good life. There are some who seek Jesus because they know that Jesus gives life. Okay? So there are people who say, you know, I, I want Jesus in my life because he's a part of what makes life good. Okay? He's just another part of the, the, the application, per se, or whatever, to make whatever, make life good. But there are people who go, no, Jesus is more than that. He not only gives us a good life, uh, he not only gives a good life, he's not just a part of giving us a good life. We know that Jesus gives life, so I come to him so that I can receive life. Okay? And then there's a whole other person. That person says, Jesus doesn't only give a good life. Jesus doesn't only give life. Jesus is life. He is life. In other words, the centrality of my existence, of all that I am, is the person of Jesus. Regardless of what happens to me, the only thing that matters is that as I'm on this journey, I'm drawing closer to Jesus because he's life. I don't want a good life. I, it's, 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 I don't want just a good life. I don't want just to receive life. I want him. He is life. And that's a whole nother disciple. That's a whole nother perspective, a whole nother way to do life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And again, as you read on, you see that Mary is also disappointed, and she expresses her disappointment. And we'll go there. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's go now, uh, let's go now to verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary is also expressing her disappointment. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, this is so critical for you and I to understand, Jesus wept. So critical, if we're going to make it past any major trial in our lives, if we're going to make it past the dark hour, we need to understand that Jesus wept. Now let's focus on this. Does Jesus know what he's about to do? Does he know that he's going to raise this man from the grave? Yes. Did Jesus go on a mission understanding that this will bring people to faith in him? Yes. So why is he weeping? You know, if I know that I'm going to raise somebody from the dead, I'm not going to weep because I know everything's going to change in a minute. So let's just get it over with. No. He is weeping not for Lazarus' sake. He's weeping for Martha and Mary. He's weeping because they are broken. And if you and I are going to do this Christian walk, you and I need to understand this about God. It's not that God is just aware of our brokenness. It's not that God knows our brokenness. It's that God is broken with us. Do you understand that? It's that God loves us so much that when we weep, he weeps. That when we hurt, he hurts. That when we don't want to get up in the morning, he's there interceding on our behalf. 
You understand that? You ever seen your child hurting and you just wanted dear life to do whatever? It t- you know what I'm talking about, Jackie. To change the circumstance of your children. You know? I remember my daughter, she, she took a fall, Mia, when she was one, and she split herself open she, she, right here, and she needed stitches. And I had to, we were in the emergency room, and I had to hold Mia down as they were going to put stitches on her. Kill me, right? I mean, it was awful. I wanted nothing but to comfort my daughter. And it was just a stitch, right? Can you imagine how God's heart breaks for you? Can you imagine You're not broken alone. He weeps because you weep. He hurts because you hurt. Because you matter to him. Bible says, can a mother forget the child of her womb? Even if a mother can forget the child of her womb, listen, I will not forget you, Chevy. I will not forget you. I will not forget you, Rob. I can't ever forget you. You know why? Because your prayers are like walls that are always before me. I keep your prayers before my face. And your name has been engraved in my hands. In other words, when I go to work and to move, I'm always moving on your behalf. I can never forget you. You're not forgotten, Bobby Joe. You're not forgotten. (coughs) Jesus wept. You know what that means? Well, wait a minute. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows he's going to make this better. But he's weeping. Why? If things turn out for the good. Because he loves you so much, he's broken with you through the process. I need you to hear that today. You need to get that today. I don't know what you're going through or what you will go through because you will go through eventually. But he's with you. Amen? He's with you. Jesus wept. Verse 36. So the Jews saw, said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, he stinks. I don't think this is a good idea. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I say this on the account of the people that surround me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Powerful, right? incredible. This man has risen from the grave because Jesus, who is life, this is the action. I'm life. It's not like life is outside of me. Life is my command. Life is my word. When I declare life, life happens. When I declare death, death happens. I am life. Lazarus, come out. You know, some people will say, well, what happened to his body four days of decomposure? He's life. The moment he spoke life, his heart was perfect. His lungs was perfect. His body was perfect. Everything decomposed came to life. This is God. This is God. Right? He speaks life and everything is perfect. That's what he does. And so Lazarus comes out and immediately two responses. People who say, okay, you got me. You got me. You're God. You're God. But then there are those who do not receive him. Why do they not receive him? They do not receive him because they are now more concerned with their position and their possession. They're concerned about their land, what they have. 
and their concern about their reputation among the people. If we're going to be fully devoted to God, number one, we're going to say no to the pressure of the good thing to say yes to the God thing. Secondly, we're going to learn to express our disappointment before God and keep our faith on God and run towards Him. We, third, we need to understand that He is life. He is life. He is life. And live our life centrally focused on Jesus. And the last thing we need to do is we've got to be willing to give up position and possession for Jesus. Position and possession will always get in the way of Jesus. Let me talk to the, to the church history. You know who have been one of the greatest opposers of revival? Church folk. You know who have been one of the greatest opposers to the power of the Holy Spirit moving over a nation? The established religion. You know who have opposed Jesus and all good things that come through the power of the Holy Spirit? Oftentimes those who are caught up in a traditional, in, a, in some kind of a, uh, this is the way God has to operate. If we're going to see the glory of God, we say, God, I think you operate here, but you know, you're like God. So um, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. But deeper than that, you know, I look at the science world. You want to know why they don't walk away from the Darwin theory, the evolution theory? Because technology keeps proving over and over and over and over again that there has to be an intelligent designer. We're not even talking about Jesus. We're just talking about something that created something. Technology and our growth in science proves we got to look outside of ourselves. There's got to be someone who created this. But they refuse to. Why? Because if they admit it, they give up their position and they give up their possession. So they have to continue to stick to a theory that now they call a fact. So they'll say things like, this theory is a fact. It's like an oxymoron. Like saying, this big is a small. This theory is a fact. It's not. It's a theory. But also within, listen. As I've followed Jesus, I've thought that I've come to the end of myself like a million times. Then the closer I get to Jesus, the Lord says, yes, come to me, my son. Get rid of that real quick. Oh, what? Well, it's never been a problem before. It's a problem now. Oh, I mean, think of Abraham, right? Obeying God. And God says, you see that promise that I've given you? That thing that I promised, that one thing I said that that will be the deal? Get rid of that deal. I know that I gave it to you. Get rid of it. It's standing in the way. As you follow Jesus, do not think that you've come to the end of yourself. There will be multiple times where the Lord will say, position and possession is getting in the way of my presence. Position and possession is getting in the way of my presence. Let's say, Lord, let us live fully devoted lives. Have our positions have our possessions, take our disappointments, we're running after you. Would you stand with me? Well, church, as I shared this message, uh, 
I want you to know as a pastor um, that I'm touched by grief and, um, you know, I'm human. I, I, know, just, I just want to say that. And uh, I have a dear friend in Keith, and I know that he's a friend of yours too who's going through a really hard time right now. And uh, um, as I was preparing this message that God had appointed for today, my heart's been broken because I got to tell you, part of me has been deeply disappointed. Part of me has been deeply disappointed. And I know that when I talk to Shannon and, and those who are close to him, part of us is deeply disappointed because a good friend of ours is battling cancer and God is not responding the way that we think he should after everything Keith has done for the Lord. Why not? And we can sit here and blame a lot of things. Well, it's our lack of faith. Well, it's because we didn't pray all this. It's all hogwash. He's a good father. He's a good father. He's a good father. He gives us good gifts. You know, we just lost our mom-in-law, Charlotte. She was a good woman. Loved God. Saved hundreds of people possibly in her ministry. Saying, why, God? It's a letdown. But we've made a commitment. We're not going to run away from you. We're going to run toward you. No matter what you do, because we know that you are resurrection and life. And we trust you. So as you're mourning and whatever you may be going through, maybe there are things in your life where you just feel like let down, disappointed. Number one, I want you to hear from me. God wants you to take your disappointment to him. He wants to hear it. He wants to care for you. He's so broken with you. He wants to comfort you. Just like you want to comfort a friend when they're broken. Imagine how much more God wants to comfort you. Turn to him. Make a decision to run to him, not away from him. Amen? Let's pray. Would you close your eyes? God, even right now, I think that you can heal my dear, dear friend, Keith. I believe in it, and I stand with you, and I pray, God, for healing. Even though he's so graceful, he is so ready, I thank you for him. I thank you for his life and his ministry, but I know that you can heal. So right now, we stand in agreement. We pray, God, bring your healing. Bring your healing. Oh, bring your peace. Bring your joy. But we say to you, God, whatever. Whatever happens, we turn toward you. We turn toward you with our hearts and our brokenness and our understanding that your ways are higher than our ways. And Lord, as we live our lives fully devoted to you, we say, oh God, teach us, Father, to say no to the pressure of the good thing so that we can say yes to the God thing. If you're here today and you're saying, you know, that's me, I'm so distracted doing so many good things, but I realize I'm neglecting what God really called me to do, and I need to get my life back in order. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? So many. So many. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you will bring alignment, that your Holy Spirit will come alongside this dear people, all of us that are raising our hands, including me, that you will teach us to prioritize the things that matter, that we will set our face like flint to do your will and nothing else. Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for the power 
of your Holy Spirit coming over your church. Lord God, and strengthening us so that we can live like you live, in rest, in peace, doing only what the Father calls us to do. Thank you for giving us revelation so that we would know the things that we're supposed to give up. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the faith that, hey, when we give those up, it means that you, Jesus, can be Jesus because now we're not standing in the way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us to let go of those things so that you can be God in those, in those things. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm dealing with a lot of letdown, a lot of disappointment. My life, some of you feel like journey has been a, one letdown to another. And it seems like the dream God's given you is dying a little at a time. But I want to tell you, God knows the plan that he has for you, to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Something may be dying, but it's not the dream God has for you. If you're here and you're saying today, Pastor, I recognize that I'm dealing with letdowns and disappointments, but I make a decision right now to turn to God with my disappointments and my letdown. That's you. Would you, would you come up to the altar right now? I'm already here at the altar. I can't run up here any faster. You're saying, I'm going to make a decision to not be bitter. I'm going to make a decision not to complain. I'm going to make a decision to run with my disappointment and my brokenness toward God because I know that he's weeping for me. And I know that I've been keeping him from comforting me. Some of you need to hear that. Your inability to bring this to the Lord has been keeping God from the greatest joy that he could receive from your life right now. What is that? Being your comforter. Would you come up to the altar, not necessarily waiting for someone to pray for you, but let the Lord minister to you right here at this altar right now. Right now. God is with you. He loves you. He's weeping over each and every one of you to come up right now. He understands disappointment. He understands. He understands. He understands. Some of you are here and you're saying, Pastor, what's convicted me the most is that I realize that there are things in my life that I need to give up. A position or a possession that's getting in the way of a fully devoted life. Today I give that up to God. I give it up to God. If that's you, would you come up to the altar right now? Would you come up to the altar right now? Say, say, Lord, I give it to you. I don't want a position. I don't want what I have or my reputation among my friends, my position among my coworkers, or whatever it may be that's standing on the way. I don't want it anymore. I give it to you. I don't want position or possession to stand in the way of your presence anymore. That's not a good trade anymore. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do is we're going to just take some time to pray here at the altar. I just want to encourage the altar workers, if you can, to come up and make your way here and pray as the Lord leads you to pray for people, those who are altar workers. But some of you, hey, you know, just don't wait for someone to pray for you. you. Just pray before the Lord and let the Lord minister to you today. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. He loves you. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good Sunday. See you next week. Let's pray.
give all 